come in and to make your way to your seats. If you have your Bibles with you, you can turn to the book of Romans in the New Testament, chapter 8. We're going to continue from there, from last week. And my name's Joe Crummy. I'm one of the leaders here, and I'll be speaking this morning. Great to have you with us. And I hope I have a voice left this morning to be able to speak. We had such a great time last night. I was singing praises to God, and then we continue right along this morning. So <clears throat> I'm going to try to keep going because it was so great to be able to shout our praises to God and to celebrate together. And we're looking forward to being able to continue that tonight. And as we pray for the Rushworths and as we pray for Martin and Ann, so we invite you to join us again this evening. If you're new here this morning, welcome. Great to have you with us. And I invite you afterwards if you want to go to our welcome table uh, outside here in the entryway. Uh, we'd love to be able to connect and we can follow up with you if you want to find out more about our church family and how you can get connected. Well, last week Brent spoke from Romans chapter 7. And we're going to pick things up in chapter 8, but it starts with a therefore. So I have to go back and do a quick review. And as we've been going through Romans, we see that it is the gospel of God. It's the good news of God speaking to his creation, saying there's good news. There's a way to have a relationship with me. And God's provided that way through his son, Jesus Christ. And last week, we are emphasizing again how we cannot get to God. God had to come to us. And so we can't get to God and the Bible calls it justification. We can't get right with God and be declared righteous God because of our good works, by us trying to follow the Ten Commands because we just can't do it. We break one, it's like we broke them all, let alone all the things that are good that we should be doing that we don't do, that maybe people don't know about, or all the things that maybe we do that we do in secret and that we do in our thoughts and our attitudes and everything. We just can't get right with God. And the whole thing that Paul's been leading us to here in Romans is we can't get right with God on our own efforts, that we needed a Savior, and that's Jesus Christ. And then he goes on to say, in our obedience to Jesus, in our obedience to God, and becoming more like Jesus every day, we can't do that on our own either. And the same things that we try to do to get us right with God, we try to do sometimes in our sanctification, us becoming more and more like Jesus. And that fails as well, and we get frustrated and that's the position we saw ourselves in last week of trying to live out this Christian life by our own means. We get frustrated and we say, what a wretched man that I am. What a wretched woman that I am. Who's going to help me from all of these things? And the good news is God has provided Jesus. And that's the answer. He has provided Jesus. And I love this quote that Brent had last week. And he says, the Christian life is not rule keeping, but about Christ loving and what a succinct thing of Romans chapter 7. And really the first seven chapters are all about understanding this good news, this gospel. Paul has presented incredible truths for us to not only wrestle with, but to believe and to receive and to apply. And in chapter 8, we start just a little bit of a transition of not only understanding the gospel, but also now experiencing the gospel. And I don't know if you've ever met someone uh, who maybe knows a lot about something and they tell you all about maybe a country and they can tell you all about the capital and food, culture, everything. But as you talk to them more and more, you begin to realize they've actually never been there. <laughs> so they can tell you a lot, but when you dig down into it, you kind of think there's something kind of hollow here. There's something kind of not right. And then, so when were you to this country? Oh, I've never been there. And it kind of, it doesn't quite line up, does it? And Paul's saying, I don't want you just to know about the gospel, although that's really important. You need to know some things as we have looked at these last few weeks. You need to experience the gospel as well. And chapter eight begins with really leading us into this experience of the knowledge that has been so essential. That we need to know these things, but it's not just good enough to know them. Paul wants us and God wants us to experience these things. So as we talk about the penalty of sin being paid and we talk about the power of sin being broken, they're not just theological concepts that say, oh, that sounds really good. We want to experience them in our lives. And that's what chapter 8 and over the next few weeks as we look at these different chapters, it's about experiencing the gospel. How does faith in the gospel of Jesus actually lead to change in my everyday life? Because God doesn't want to just 
give us some head note. He wants to transform us. And it's about a transformed life that gives glory to God. And I find wrestling through Romans and in pastoral life, and even in my own life, I come across these two tensions, and maybe you can relate, and this is what I'm trying to dig into today. That maybe through the first seven chapters, you might land on one of these two places. First, you might begin to think this. You might think, okay, a real Christian doesn't struggle with sin anymore. So that might be you. You're like, okay, if I'm hearing, right, we're dead to sin and we died and the power of sin's broken, you might be thinking, well, for everyone else, they don't struggle with sin anymore. But inside you're going like, but I still feel defeated. So we just got to take a time out right there. If that's you, that can really put you in a tailspin. And I think maybe that's happened to some of you even in the last few weeks. And so what we're trying to explain has actually caused things to be even worse. Because you're like, wow, if I was a real Christian and if I really was dead to sin and all these incredible truths, then why am I feeling the way I'm feeling? And you disqualify yourself from it and you actually feel worse than when we began. So I gotta speak to you just for a minute and say, because then you'll either give up or you'll think it's for everyone else and you won't apply it to you. Just because you feel some of those things doesn't mean the truth isn't real for you, but you've got to work through those feelings. So you can't stay in those feelings. So I don't want you this morning to walk away saying, but Joe, I feel these things, so therefore I'm conflicted. I understand you feel those things. I understand you still feel tempted to sin. I understand you still feel maybe condemned and all these different things. That's why we've got to keep working through these things. But don't give up. Don't stop there. That would be my thing to you. Another position you might find yourself in is this. You might think, well, real Christians are human, therefore they're just like everyone else, so they sin just like everybody else. And there's kind of like, well, yeah, but no. Because <laughs> then you might think that, well, it's just inevitable, I'm going to sin, or you're going to be defeated, or you're just going to give up. And we're saying to you, through this gospel of transformation, no, you can still have the choice to sin, but the power and the obligation to sin has now been broken. And you need to understand that. And if you never understand that, you won't realize that you can overcome sin. And this is another step to things we're going to talk about this morning. Because if you don't wrestle through some of the things, what we're about to say here, you're just going to not even pay attention to me this morning. And so we need the power of the Holy Spirit to help us here. I, we've been praying this week, God brings revelation he reveals, okay? I don't come to you this morning with very wise or persuasive words, but a demonstration of the Spirit's power that God, by His Spirit, does something in your heart and in your mind that transforms things. That's what we need here this morning. But you play a part in that. So let's look at our scripture reading for today. It's Romans chapter 8, and you can follow along or you can follow along on the screen. And Paul begins with this. He says, There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the Spirit, capital S, that's the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of life, has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do, by sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh. And for sin, as a sin offering, he condemns sin in the flesh, in order that the righteous requirement of the law may be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit, capital S. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. Verse 6. Eventually. We're keeping you in suspense. There we go. For to set the mind on the flesh is death. But to set the mind on the spirit is life and peace. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the spirit, if in fact the spirit of God dwells in you. Anyone who does not have the spirit of Christ does not belong to him. But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the spirit is life because of righteousness. If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, 
He who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. So then, brothers and sisters, we are debtors, not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. All right, we're going to dive in to this. And it's a little bit confusing because Paul uses similar words to explain different things. So sometimes the flesh means our physical body. And so Jesus came in the flesh. He, he became a real human being. And other times he uses the word flesh and some translations say the sinful nature depending upon what translation you have. And that is everything in us that's independent of God. So it's our thoughts and our feelings and our, all those things that are not being led by Christ. And so that's saying if you're living by the flesh, he's not just saying by your physical body, although we're contained in it, those desires and those things that aren't godly, that's going to lead to death. So we're going to try to walk through some of these things to help bring some clarity to it. Paul begins, there is therefore. So he says, before he shows us how to live according to God's spirit, which is the rest of chapter 8, Paul wants to show again how God's son has given us life. So looking back on chapter 3 and 4 and 5, 6 and 7, the great truth of Romans 8.1 for Christians is this new legal position of being in Christ. And you're saying, Joe, haven't we just heard this for the last number of weeks? Yes, we have. But we need to hear it again. If you're a follower of Jesus, you're a believer in Jesus, you've put your faith in Jesus Christ, you have a new legal position Your identity is now you are in Christ. John just mentioned that in his prayer at the end of worship time. It's a legal term to be free, so no no condemnation. It's to be free from any debt or penalty. And not only that, no one even brings any charge against you. So it's not like a charge has been brought and you've been found not guilty. There's not even any basis for a charge to even be brought against you. That's incredible news. So not only like, well, I've, There was a charge brought against me, but thankfully I've been found not guilty. No! There's no basis to even bring a charge. You're in in court. While you're in court, you're not even supposed to be here. There's not even a charge against you. You're free to go. No condemnation. Oh, 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 what an incredible thing. And most of us are stunned because we're just like, I I still don't get it. (laughs) I'm putting myself in that, so I'm not accusing you of anything. I'm just saying we hear it, and we kind of, Well, Joe's shaking his head, so I'll shake my head, but I don't really get it. I'm going to try to say it again, why this is so important to get. So before we're going to get, and we're going to get in exciting things about life in the Spirit, and God's given us a Spirit, you need to know your position, your identity first. Because if you don't get that, the rest of what we're going to do, that will even seem like a burden to you. And it's not meant to be a burden. It's meant to be a joy and a delight. God sent his Son to become human, to become a sin offering, so therefore the penalty is paid and he broke the power of sin. So a person who is in Christ Jesus is not under any condemnation from God because you are hidden in Christ, therefore you have nothing but acceptance and welcome by God the Father. And if you're going like, that is too good to be true, it's grace, it's a gift, it is too good to be true, but it's true. (laughs) But that doesn't even... If God knew all the things I God knew, God knows all the things you did. But if God knew all the things that were deep inside, God knows them all. So you're telling me that I'm hidden in Christ and he doesn't even bring a charge against me? That's what I'm saying. And you're saying that God actually welcomes me with loving arms as a loving father? Yes, that's exactly what we're saying. And you don't deserve it. But it's good news. Now that should rattle you. That should do something to you. Even if it makes you go, ah, I can't believe it. Good. We're getting somewhere. Believe it. Why is this so important to keep repeating? Because we forget. Martin Lloyd-Jones says this. This is an incredible statement. Most of our troubles as Christians are due to our failure to realize the truth of this one verse. Woo. Let me say that again. Most of our troubles as Christians are due to our failure to realize the truth of this one verse. 
that there's no condemnation for those who are now in Christ Jesus. Here's why it's so important. Because many of us as Christians, we think we're just temporarily out from under condemnation. Un- under condemnation. So this is what we do. Uh, okay, I came to Christ. He's wiped away my past. I feel pretty good. And so for a moment, we feel free. And we're like, I get it. I'm under no condemnation. I've been forgiven. And that experience of becoming a believer is an incredible experience. But today, I've sinned five times and we're only 11 and 20. So I did all these things wrong. So what do we feel? We feel condemned. So then we're like, okay, if I can get to the end of the meeting, if I can just make it through, then I'll repent, I'll talk to someone, I'll pray, and then I'll feel better again because then I'm not under condemnation, then I'm free again. So then we're, I'm waiting so that I can be, ah, there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And then tomorrow morning, you're going to slip back under condemnation because you didn't quite live up, and then you're like, well, at Life Group this week, I'm going to confess my sins, and then I'll feel like I'm no longer under condemnation, but then between life group and next Sunday, but then next Sunday I get to confess my sins again and we go crazy. What a burden. Because how does that manifest in our lives? I'm going to give you some examples. This is real life examples that you might not make the connection for how you feel has to do with this one verse and the truth of what Christ has done. If we doubt or forget or think by our efforts, we are either in or out of condemnation. It affects our everyday life. Here's some real-life examples from our church. If we feel like we're out, from, we're out of Christ and we're condemned, we're going to feel more guilty, we're going to feel more unworthy, and we're going to feel a lot more pain than we ever should do it. Because there's another definition for condemnation. This is it. Condemnation is to, de- to be declared unfit for use. That car gets condemned. It's not worthy anymore, is it? You can't use it. You can't drive it. It's declared unfit for use. The food in the grocery store has an expiry date. If it goes past it, it's condemned. It's declared unfit for use, and we get rid of it. And how do we feel when we feel condemned? We feel unworthy and useless, and God could never use me. So we disqualify ourselves from God ever using us. And how does that affect our worship time? It affects it. I can guarantee there's people here this morning who could not raise their hands or felt like they couldn't sing because they felt condemned, unworthy, declared unfit for use. So I'm just going to be here. And it affects us, doesn't it? Because one part of the body affects another. So if 200 of us come in feeling condemned, we're in trouble. (laughs) Because we're all going to be. Now I'm not saying if you don't raise your hands, I'm saying, you're condemned, I see you're not raising your hand. That's not what I'm saying. (laughs) I don't want to condemn you. (laughs) I'm saying sometimes we skip life group because I don't feel like I know I've sinned and I don't feel worthy and I won't go. So it affects our relationship with God, but it affects our relationships with each other. And we become a bit more defensive sometimes when people maybe say something to try to encourage us and ever we take it the wrong way, we get defensive, we get critical. It decreases our joy and worship keeps us away from praying tonight, keeps us away from reading the Bible, it keeps us from having relationships within the church. Sometimes it drives us because we feel like, oh, now I really got to do better this week. So we're driven to then do all these things. And it's out of the wrong motivation, and we burn ourselves out, or we make these promises to ourselves, this week I'm going to do better, it's March break, I got more time off, so I'm going to read the Bible more, I'm going to make up for the month of February, I'm going to do, I promise God I will do better this week, I'm going to do, I'm going to do, I'm going to do. And we don't make the connection. That all has to do with Romans 8.1. And God, I'm going to try to sum up more willpower to obey you. And we miss out on the resources that God has provided. Phil Moore in his commentary says this. This is an incredible statement. He says, the glory of the gospel is that God has declared Christians to be rightly related to him in spite of their sin. How easily we fall into the trap of assuming that if we remain justified only so long as there are grounds in our character 
for justifications, Paul's teaching is that nothing we do ever contributes to our justification. We always try to let our character slip into our justification that we're declared righteous before God. It doesn't. We're declared righteous before God because of Jesus Christ and his life and his perfect fulfillment of the law and his death on the cross and his resurrection from the dead and his ascension and his defeating sin and death and Satan and Jesus even defeats our self. Martin Lloyd-Jones uses this analogy. It's a long quote, so I'm not going to quote it, but I'll try to communicate the point. He says, before you were a Christian, of course you broke God's law. And he says, it's like you're a citizen of a state or a country, and you break the law. We can get that. We can get that we've broken the Ten Commandments. We can get that we have done things. He says, as a Christian, though, he says things are different. He uses this analogy, and I'm going to use it, and I'm going to pick on Angela, my wife. He says it's like this. It's like we're in a marriage relationship. We are legally married. June 7th, 1997, we had witnesses. We've got a signed document. There was an event. It happened. We made vows. We're married. Now, I can do a lot of things in my attitude and my tone of voice and all kinds of things that technically and legally aren't breaking any laws or commandments, but anyone in marriage knows I can do a lot of things even though technically I'm not wrong, I'm wrong. So how I treat her and my tone of voice and my attitude and whether I serve or don't serve, all those things, it doesn't affect, am I married today? Am I still her husband? I, I, am I, maybe I'm not, maybe I am. It doesn't affect that at all, does it? Legally, it doesn't affect anything. But boy, it sure affects our companionship and our relationship. And Martin Lloyd-Jones is saying, that's what it's like when we become a Christian. It's not so much, am I a Christian? Am I not a Christian? Am I condemned? Am I not condemned? Those things are final. They're solid. Angeline, we're married. We're married. There's no doubt about it. But now my sensitivity to her and serving her and loving her and caring for her brings a whole different level to it. And folks, when we become Christians, it's not just, am I obeying the law? Am I not obeying the law? We're in a relationship that I'm a Christian. I'm in Christ. It's a done deal. His spirit has been put within me. It's a down payment guaranteeing my name is graven on his hands. My name is written in the book of life, in the Lamb's book of life. I'm in Christ. But my obedience to the Holy Spirit, as we're going to see, and my attitude and my affections and my devotion towards Jesus really affects our companionship. Do you see the difference? So yes, sin does affect us. I'm not saying that it doesn't. But it doesn't affect our position. Our position is we're in Christ. That's our position. And I know you feel guilty, and I know you feel ashamed, and I know you feel distant, and I know all those feelings are there to help you, and the Holy Spirit brings conviction to not challenge whether you're in Christ or not. It's to challenge your companionship that yes, I need to confess my sins, but it's not to get out of, because I was out of being in Christ. No, it affects my companionship with Jesus, and he's my lover, and it's a heart thing, and I want to be sensitive to Jesus, and I want to want to obey him because I want to want to serve and please Angela. She's my wife. <laughs> That's the illustration Martin Lloyd-Jones says is the difference between just law and now our companionship with Jesus Christ. Our position isn't what changes if we sin or not. To, as followers of Jesus, we need to get this one nailed down. That your position in Christ is a gift. When we put our faith in Jesus Christ, how many times have you heard me say it? We're transferred from the kingdom of darkness 
to the kingdom of light. We've got a new king because we're in a new kingdom. We're on a new team. We've got a new leader. We've got a new team that we're playing for. We're now part of the church, the family of God. We've got new teammates. We're brothers and sisters in Christ. We've been given a new power, as we're going to see, by the Holy Spirit that makes us different from what we were before. We've got a new purpose. We've got a new power source. We need to understand our position does not change. And it gets even better because we're not just left to our own devices in this position in Christ. We've been now given a new power. Hallelujah. 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 Brent touched on it last week. We're going to continue it more in chapter 8 because chapter 8 is all about the Holy Spirit. And if you remember, if you know the Old Testament, in the darkest days of Israel's God's people, when they're in exile, all those things, dark days, dark, dark days, we see some of the most incredible promises given in the darkest of days. And so we have Jeremiah. Do you remember what Jeremiah said? Man, the whole nation's falling around him. And he says this in Jeremiah 31. God says, I will put my law within them, that's his people, and in their hearts, I will write it. Because they're thinking law, Ten Commandments, stone tablets, Ark of the Covenant, let alone, I think, 613 other rules that you needed to follow if you were a Jew. And Jeremiah, can you imagine 613? We can't even remember the Ten Commandments. 613 other things about how to wash your clothes and how to do this and how to do that. And you hear this incredible promise that God says, I will put my law within them and in their hearts I will write it. Ezekiel 36, he says this, God speaking, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you and will remove the heart of stone. I will put my spirit, capital S, within you and cause you to walk in my ways. Woo! Something's gonna change. Jesus comes and the Holy Spirit is everywhere. Okay? We don't have anything written down for 400 years and all of a sudden the Holy Spirit's everywhere. Mary's conceived by the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit speaking to people. Amazing. The Holy Spirit comes upon John the Baptist even in his mother's womb. And Jesus came full of the Holy Spirit, full of grace and truth. And just before his death, Jesus took his disciples and he taught primarily on the Holy Spirit. John chapter 14, 15, and 16. John 14, 16, he says, the Spirit of Truth, capital S, is coming. He will be in you. Folks, that's a radically different concept of 10 commandments written on stone and God promising, I will put my Spirit in you. Terry Virgo says this, the Holy Spirit would come and would fortify them from within. It would be as though Jesus was personally with them again, but this time as one within them, as their guide, teacher, motivator, energy supplier, boldness imparter, and life transformer. Oh, that's so good. The Holy Spirit comes to free us from bondage to sin and death. Verse 2, for the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. We now have power that we didn't have before. And with the indwelling Holy Spirit, we can overcome the combined forces of sin and our old self as the Holy Spirit releases us to live a new lifestyle all together. Folks, the Holy Spirit now is the key to our new relationship with God. The coming of this Holy Spirit marks the end of the time of the law and the, its role towards us as a believer. So now we serve God in the newness of the Spirit, not in the oldness of the letter. As Ezekiel had promised, the coming of the Spirit brings life to that which was dead. The Spirit releases us from the tyranny, the kingdom, the power of sin by his powerful indwelling. Jesus' life-imparting power comes to us by the indwelling Holy Spirit who by his power fulfills in us what the outward law could never fulfill. So now what's our responsibility? 
our responsibility is to obey what Paul tells us in Ephesians 5.18. He says this, go on being filled with the Holy Spirit. That is continually asking and receiving a filling of the Spirit of the living God because the Holy Spirit is God's change agent. So as we go on being filled with the Holy Spirit, he works in us to bring internal change. So as we're filled with the Holy Spirit and we learn to walk in the Spirit and we learn to be led by the Spirit and we learn to hear the Spirit's voice and obey and to receive his power and to receive his grace, he produces fruit in our life. That's what Brent was talking about last week, that we're now married to Christ. He gives us power to bear fruit for God. So it's not something we just try to whip up. It's something we learn to cooperate with the Holy Spirit. And he begins to transform our lives because we've been given a new heart in Christ Jesus. We've been given a new nature in Christ Jesus. We've become a new creation in Christ Jesus. Folks, we miss out on how radically we are transformed when we become born again. And it's our job as teachers and pastors and shepherds to say, remember what God has done in Christ Jesus. And not just remember, but receive and apply and experience and live in the good of what Christ has done. Paul's declaring that in the new way of the Holy Spirit, the old way of trying to keep the law is no longer the way to live a godly life. Instead, God's gracious gift of the Holy Spirit is sufficient and adequate to accomplish his purposes in his people. Hallelujah. Richard Hayes in his commentary says this. These quotes, I can't get them any better, so I have to say them all because I'm just like, oh, it sums it up so well. Richard Hayes says this. God is present in power in the church, changing lives and enabling an obedience that would otherwise be unattainable. The Holy Spirit is not a theological wish but the manifestation of God's presence in the community, making everything new. Those who respond to the gospel have entered the sphere of the Spirit's power where they find themselves changed and empowered for obedience. So the question we have to ask ourselves, have you received the Holy Spirit? Are you in Christ here this morning? Because Paul says if you don't have the Spirit, you haven't received Christ So I'm asking two questions, very pointedly. Have you received the Holy Spirit? Paul, when he went to Ephesus, he was with these guys. They were followers. They knew a lot about Jesus. They knew a lot of teaching. And he's with them for a while. And he doesn't say, are you saved? He doesn't say, teach, tell me what you theologically believe. He says this, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? He knew there was something different. And I think if Paul was in a lot of our churches today, he would say, what's going on? (laughs) Did you receive the Spirit? When you believed, and I think a lot of us would say, we didn't even know there was a spirit. That was the, their answer in Ephesus. We didn't even know there was a Holy Spirit. Paul's like, no wonder something's missing. So have you received the Holy Spirit? Are you a believer? You might think you're a believer. I'm just saying, you, gotta, you don't want to cause doubt in the wrong way, but I do want to say, examine your life and say, Do I think I'm a Christian just because I've always gone to church, because my parents believe this, because I can memorize scripture, because all these things, are are those the reasons why you think you're a Christian? If they are, then maybe you're missing out on salvation, that you need to be born again, that you need to receive the Holy Spirit. And if you know you're a Christian, you know, I know I've been born again, I know, are you going on being filled with the Holy Spirit? And folks, we have to do that. I have to do it all the time, like daily, like more than daily, like all the time. God, I need your spirit. Would you fill me with your Holy Spirit? Angela and I, we're in some tough parenting things at times. And we have to say, like in the midst of anger going and all these different things, God, I need your spirit. It's not God, it's not I'm trying to will myself into, no, God, I'm weak. I need your Holy Spirit. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. All the time, God, fill me with your Holy Spirit. I need your Holy Spirit. Have you received and have you been filled with the Holy Spirit? The good news is, in a few minutes, you can receive the Holy Spirit. You can go on being filled with the Holy Spirit. Last thing. There's so many things 
folks, as I said, we're just touching different points. There's so many things in those 14 verses that we could, every verse in itself is a whole sermon. So forgive me for not covering every single thing. Third thing I just want to go over this morning briefly. So I'm taking Brent's points. If you were taking notes last week, I hope you realize. I thought these were the same things Brent said last week. They are. He did them so well, I said, I'm going to use them this week. (laughs) We've got a new position. We're in Christ. We've got a new power. We have the Holy Spirit. We have a new purpose. Brent phrased it this week, this time last week. We're to bear fruit for God. I'm changing it slightly. We are to do that. And how do we bear fruit for God? One of our purposes, Paul tells us, we're to set our minds on the Spirit. Folks, we all set our minds on something. So what's Paul talking about when he says this? He says it over and over again, if you heard it earlier in those verses. Paul says that the connection between living and thinking is pretty tight. (laughs) It's pretty close. So whatever you have your mind set on, that shapes your lifestyle and your character. Our lives are shaped whatever we're preoccupied with up here. So when he talks about whatever we set our mind to, what's he saying? What preoccupies our minds? And I'll give you a good, uh, this week, if you want to say, well, I don't even know what preoccupies, okay, I'll give you two hours, carve it out somewhere, of silence, and what do you think about in those two hours? That will tell you what's preoccupying your mind. So some of us, sports scores are going to be in there. Some of us, we're going to relive a movie. Some of us, we're going to be off on all kinds of different things. You're going to have songs in your head. You're going to be wishing you're watching Netflix. You're going to say, I wonder what's going on Facebook right now. Whatever keeps coming over and over again, that's probably what's preoccupying your mind. And Paul says, the overcoming of sin in our lives begins in our mind. And victory over sin is only the ever the result of having our mind set on the Spirit. So Pam Waugh, when she was manager of the Lighthouse, Pam got this. So much so, that became the catchphrase of the Lighthouse, wasn't it? Wasn't it, Pam? It was always, whatever goes into the mind comes out in a life. Pam got a hold of something of this truth, and that was the model for many years. What goes into a mind comes out in a life. And where was she getting that from? Romans 8. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. Paul's saying, if we set our minds on the things of the flesh, so the flesh is anything that's not controlled by God. You can't do both at the same time. They're at war with one another. So can I say that again? The flesh, so the flesh is your body that wants to everything now. So the flesh is, you're trying to eat properly and your flesh screams out, I want all the junk food in the world. That's your flesh. Okay, that's, that's your flesh. Okay, so some of you understood that because that was a good reaction right there. <laughs> so the flesh is, this is the Joe Crummy way of helping you understand what the flesh is because you read this and you're like, flesh, what's he talking about? Your flesh is what's in you that says, I want it now. So that applies to anything, doesn't it? So food, I want it now. Sex, I want it now. You can, money, I want it now. Pleasure, I want it now. Anything that screams out to control you in an ungodly way that controls you, that's setting your mind on the things of the flesh. And you're going like, how in the world am I ever gonna break that? You're not on your own. That's the whole point. So God's saying, you can't do it on your own. That's why there's been an intervention. (laughs) Jesus Christ has intervened. And now he's put you in Christ. That's your new position, your new identity. He's given you his spirit. He's given you a new power. Now it's our responsibility, because this is where sometimes we lose people. You've just been telling me, Joe, you can't do it on your own strength. You can't do all these things. And now you're telling me you need to do this. That's what Paul's saying. (laughs) Paul's saying, now you've been given the spirit within you to help you and to equip you and to enable you, but you're not on autopilot. You can't get lazy. You can't just let go and let God. Oh, I've been filled with the spirit. It doesn't matter now what I do. No. 
But Paul always does it this way. This is what he does. And you can follow it through. Paul always says, Brent, this is who you are. He says that first, doesn't he? Sorry, baby. I got you. I did a Don Smith there, didn't I? (laughs) Really quiet, and then boom. Paul always does this. He tells you who you are, and he hammers home that truth. You're now in Christ, new team, new king, new husband, new power, new position, everything, so that you know who you are. And then he says, now here are some things you need to do. We do it the other way around, don't we? You need to do this. You need to do that. You need to do this. You need to do that. Paul always starts with, remember who you are. Remember who you are. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Kind of wake up. Then he says, it's your responsibility to set your mind on the things of the Spirit. So does it matter what you watch? Yes, it does. But what you watch isn't what gets you right with God. It maintains that companionship, as we used that illustration before. So taking every thought captive in this, is this going to lead me closer to Jesus Christ? If the answer is no, don't watch it. Don't read it. Don't listen to it. Because it's going to separate you in your companionship with Christ. It's not going to take you out of your position, but it will affect your everyday companionship. So that's where we don't want to lose by me telling you, it doesn't matter what you watch and all that, that won't get you right with God. It will affect your companionship with Jesus. And Paul says, if you set your mind on the things of the flesh, I want it now, I'm going to watch this now, I'm going to do this now, I don't really care, I'm going to do it, that leads to death and brokenness. And we see the result of that all around us. But if you set your mind on the things of the Spirit, that leads to life and peace. Paul says in verse 9, You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if in fact the Spirit of God dwells in you. Paul also says this, and we'll finish up. He says, put to death the deeds of the body. What does he mean? He says this, folks, you've got to be vigilant against sin. So Tim Keller says this. He uses a helpful illustration. Tim Keller says, sin, those things that you know are going to destroy you and are wrong with God. He says, it's like we're in a living room and sin is like the cushion on the couch is on fire. And what we do, we think, I can control it. So instead of getting rid of it, we're just like, well, I'm just going to watch it and I'm in control, and I'll make sure it doesn't spread to anything else. It's crazy. But that's what we do with sin. We'll we'll manage it. The rest of the house looks great. I only have this little part. I can even hide it. Don't even look over here. Keep looking over here. Nothing to see here, folks. (laughs) Putting to death the deeds of the body is get rid of the thing that's on fire because it's going to destroy the rest of your life. So if you have an addiction to something, you've got to deal with that through the things that we've been talking about because it will lead to death. So in grace and in the power of the Holy Spirit, we're still to take action. So sometimes we get accused of those of us who promote grace and the things we're talking about that it's going to lead to license, that we're just going to be lazy and you're going to go on sinning. That's not what we're saying. What we're saying is you can't do it on your own. God's made a way. Your position in Christ is secure. So know who your position is. Know who you're married to. Know who loves you. Know that you've got a new life and you've got a new spirit within you. Know that you're on a new team and you can live a new way and that you can have new freedom in Christ and you can live in a great relationship with Jesus. You can be about his purposes and plans. But don't spoil that by not being vigilant with these things. So God gives you power not to watch that. So I can tell you two things this morning. I can say, get rid of Netflix. And you can be like, because you're thinking, if I get rid of Netflix, so you're telling me to be a legalist and I'm not to watch the TV anymore? Or I can say, get rid of Netflix because I need, it it controls me and it just leads to no good and therefore I'm going to choose to get rid of it and it's a good thing. Not out of legalism, but I'm putting it to death.
Do you see the difference in motivation between those two things? One's a legalistic command. Okay, everyone, don't watch TV anymore. Don't watch Netflix. Don't go on Facebook. Don't do this. Don't listen to music. You're like, that's what some people think. And they move away and they live in their own isolated thing. Or, I want to put to death these things if they have control over me. So Brent can watch Netflix, and it doesn't control him. He can just watch it one hour a week. So it's not a big deal for him. So I don't have to put a legalism on him, but for me, I know I can't even do that. You see the difference? And Paul goes even a step further. Because even that breaks down. He goes, I'm going right to the heart of things. I'm going right to the root. He's saying, put, what's the root of even you watching Netflix? <laughs> What's the root of you even doing these things? You've got to expose that to the gospel of Jesus Christ. Because you can do that for a season, but you've got to get right to the heart of it where that doesn't even have power over you anymore. And that's exposing the heart of things to the gospel. And that's saying, wait a minute. I'm actually loved by God. I'm going to say it again. God actually loves me. You know what? God actually likes me in Christ. So all my performance, ah, that burden, I can just, God actually likes me. Yeah, he's a good, good father. That's who he is. And I'm loved by him. That's who I am. If you can let that sink in, that will change a lot of your sin problems right there. That my identity is now, and now he actually wants me to live a life that pleases him. Not out of duty or out of fear, but actually out of love. That we say it so many times, but do things for Angela because I love her. I want to do those things. My heart's been changed. And Paul goes right to the heart. It's a heart change. So we're letting our heart be exposed to the gospel of Jesus Christ, that even our motivations get changed. That's a transformed life. Now, sometimes we start with, I'm not going to do this anymore. We throw out the cushion. How did it get on fire in the first place? So that we expose our heart to the things of the gospel. Folks, we have to do this. And this is our last thing. We have to preach to ourselves truth all the time. But be careful what you preach to yourself. If you preach to yourself, if I do that, God will get so angry with me, I'll be embarrassed, if I'll hate myself in the morning. What are we preaching to ourselves? Me. As opposed to, look, let's just stop and think about it. Look what God's done for me in Christ Jesus. I love that song. I was thinking of this when we, uh, I cast my mind to Calvary. I was like, that's it? As we sang, that's it. That's putting your mind on the things of the Spirit. Stop, time out. I cast my mind to Calvary. And I remember what Christ has done. I remember his hands. I remember what he did. That diffuses a lot of things right there. But you've got to preach that to yourself. I'm going to cast my mind on the Word of God. I'm going to cast my mind on worship songs. I'm going to cast my mind on truth. I'm going to cast my mind on good sermons that I know are bathed in the grace of God. I'm going to cast my mind on the things of the Spirit. Terebro says, life in the Spirit cannot be reduced to autopilot or cruise control. We need to be reminded over and over again to live by the Spirit. So this is my closing quote from J.I. Packer from Knowing God. J.I. Packer says this regarding truth, the things we're talking about this morning, the Spirit of truth and the Word of truth. Packer says this, we turn each truth that we learn about God into matter for meditation before God, leading to prayer and praise to God. I love that. Meditation is the activity of calling to mind and thinking over and dwelling on and applying to oneself the various things that one knows about the works and ways and purposes and promises of God. Its purpose is to clear one's mental and spiritual vision of God and to let his truth make its full and proper impact on one's mind and heart. 
It is a matter of talking to oneself about God and oneself. It is indeed often a matter of arguing with oneself, reasoning oneself out of moods of doubt and unbelief into a clear apprehension of God's power and grace. Hallelujah. So folks, if you're in Christ here this morning, you're in a new position. You're hidden in Christ and the evil one cannot touch you. So you can be brave, can't you, Robin, in Christ? You've received a new power. He's given you the power, the same power that raised Jesus from the dead now dwells in you. What? Yes. Should that bring changes? Yes. Should I dwell and meditate on that? Should I really think through the implications of that? Yes. You've got a new purpose. And that's with the help of the Holy Spirit, I'm going to set my mind on things of the Spirit and not on the flesh. And I'm going to learn, because it's hard, but it's pop, it, you're able to get out of wrong thinking patterns, habitual sin, addictions. Freedom comes. But we have to, with the power of the Holy Spirit, set our mind on the things of the Spirit. That's a new way of thinking, isn't it? But it's possible. And us preaching here on Sundays, us being in life groups where we talk over and we're trying to apply some of you this week, what was Joe even talking about? Well, this is what I heard. We're applying it. We're digging down and applying it. We're setting our mind on the things of the Spirit. Why am I listening to worship music and not the radio? Because I want my mind to be filled with the things of the Spirit. Why do I watch less and less of this? Why do I not go there anymore? Because I'm setting my mind on the things of the Spirit because it brings life and peace and we know the flesh leads us to death. We've got a new motivation to do it because God loves us and now we love God and our companionship is a sweet thing. It's a fellowship, the Bible says, isn't it? And I want to do everything I can in the right way to maintain that relationship and that companionship because I love Jesus because he first loved me. Folks, that's not being legalistic. That's taking the grace of God and the truth of the gospel and applying it to our everyday life that changes our everyday life to be more like Jesus. Amen? So there's some homework for us today, tomorrow, till God takes us home. <laughs> All right, let's stand. I know our time's gone, so I'm going to hand things back over to Ben. So maybe, Brent, we can send out that quote this week, All right. Short prayer, but powerful. Jesus, please help us by the power of your Holy Spirit to both understand and apply these great truths from the book of Romans. I pray for people to get into Christ today. I pray for people to be filled with your Spirit. I pray for people to be enabled by your Spirit to set their minds on the things of the Spirit. And Lord, I pray that you would be glorified we would be transformed, and in that, our culture would be transformed. To the glory of God, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right, Ben, thank you.